Beginning with this year's elections, voting gets a whole lot easier. Your mailbox is your ballot box. Your ballot packet comes to you in the mail. But only if you're a registered voter. If you need to register or update your address, do it today at elections.hawaii.gov. Look for your free Hawaii elections guide in the newspaper or at these locations statewide. The deadline to register for the general election is October 5th, so don't delay. Hawaii votes by mail. Well, aloha and good morning to all of you watching here on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This is Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. We want to, of course, thank once again our sponsor of this conversation, the State Office of Election, who again reminds us, as we saw in that clip, that there is still time to register for the general election, which is coming up. Uh, October 5th is that deadline. So if you have not yet registered, be sure to do that. And as uh, we continue through this month, we'll provide you more information about the elections coming up. But today, of course, Yanji, as we like to always do on this uh, conversation, is we bring in guests to talk about, of course, the state's response to COVID-19. And we have another special guest joining us once again today. That's right. We have Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who happens to be a doctor. And I learned that firsthand over the week over the last few days. I got to show you this. I'm here visiting my mom in North Kohala. That's me and Dr. Green at the ER. I sliced my finger and guess who sewed me up? The Lieutenant Governor. So he really is a doctor. We have we have proof now. <laughs> anyway, Dr. Green, thank you so much for the stitches and for joining us uh, this morning. We want to welcome you and ask you uh, how you think Hawaii is doing. Thank you. Uh, you're a great patient. Very, very <laughs> polite and thoughtful. I appreciate that. No yelling. Um, so the state is doing much better. It is certainly a challenge you know i know that people are feeling the pain of the lockdown and i i am more than empathetic i hate the lockdown the lockdown was necessitated or the stay-at-home order i should say was necessitated by really large numbers creating this surge of what's now 6912 patients people that were positive over the course of six weeks because the department of health was unable to trace and test adequately we could have kept these numbers well under 3,000, honestly so uh, that was bad, but the numbers are much better. Yesterday, we had uh, just 66 cases, although testing was limited over the holiday weekend, and then 100 cases today. We are right at the tipping point. We have an active case number, like I mentioned, of 3912. Yesterday, it was 6874. So we're tipping downward. You look about back 20 days of when people start getting released from concern, and uh, 20 days ago, we had 260 patients. So as we start seeing these smaller numbers, because people are doing so well with uh, the stay-at-home order, with mask wearing, with social distancing, because that's working very well, our numbers will begin to decline. I can also speak to the hospital numbers. We are now at 240 individuals in the hospital, down from a, a peak of about 315 or so. Uh, even yesterday, it was 250. Now it's 240. So we've been steadily declining, and that's usually a reflection of decreasing the overall disease burden in the state. So these are super important things because we want to not only just be well and healthy and not see loss of life, we could have three fatalities today, but because we know that we need to get in a very, uh, in very short order, we need to get out of the stay-at-home order. We need to open up all retail. We need to open up restaurants again. We need to open up tourism. And we're at the precipice of that. Uh, the mayor made his order and you know, I, I, like everyone else, has to abide by it, but we can debate whether or not that was necessary. 
I will say this though, the people are doing well and all of the indicators have been good the last few days. So knock wood, our sacrifice is paying off. And I hope that it means we'll get, get this state back going again. I hope that it means we can open up the economy on October 1st, open up schools on October 13th and start being normal. Won't be totally normal, but start being normal. We're seeing a lot of comments coming in, uh, people criticizing this order that just came down yesterday by the mayor. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the extension of this two-week stay-at-home order? Uh, do you agree that it should have been extended, or did you think that uh, it, was, it would have been safe to open up some of these businesses that were uh, already asked to shut down? Sure. Uh, well, a couple things. First of all, I don't, it's too bad that we ever had to get anywhere near a stay-at-home order again because had we been tracing and testing, we would not have needed to. I know that's not what, I'll answer the question more thoroughly, but we should have never been in that circumstance where we had to get there ever. Two, two weeks did lower the numbers by about 50%, which was good. I think we probably could have gone to the orange uh, category, which allows for some more opening yesterday, but that's a debate that's being had. And obviously the mayor wants to be super cautious. I, I can accept that. The part of the order that is a head scratcher, of course, is this idea that people can't go out in groups of more than one to the beach or the beach park or hiking. That's not based on science or medicine. And, and so I have a problem with that order uh, because number one, it's unsafe to send people out hiking by themselves. I see people uh, like Yunji all the time up there. They're out hiking, they trip on a thing, they shatter their tibia, their, their leg bone. And if they're not there with somebody um, to help them, they're in trouble. And the same thing goes if you're swimming, if you're in the ocean and so on. So I don't think that that order is smart. And my team is, is drafting a memo right now, actually, to ask the mayor and the governor to rethink that and allow for households to be able to go out. I'm not trying to undermine their main premise that we have to keep the numbers down for another two weeks. But I, I do think that a big part of this is compliance and getting people to accept what we're doing and to make it work without too much pain, and that would go a long way. There's, okay. there's a lot Sorry, to ahead. talk about about that order, but that was the main thing that I was wondering about. Well, and on that point, Ingrid uh, Ryan at 1033 says, please advocate to include cakey minors in the solo definition. I think a lot of us, um, you know, those of us who are parents with young children, it's unrealistic, obviously, to send a two or four year old out solo, but those are the ones that really need some outdoor time. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the memo that you're drafting and when you expect a response? Is that just sort of like sending a letter saying, here's my opinion, or is there action uh, that can come from that? Well, I do have a pretty large role with, um, with General Har and the Gov and the team. We met even deep into last evening. And so, yes, it's, uh, I wasn't a part of that decision. And some things are changing, which we'll probably announce next week, where I'll be able to have a little bit more influence on some of these base decisions. But I'll tell you that sometimes it's the population's voice that speaks loudly and clearly. And I, I think that people were speaking up uh, both during the news uh, conference yesterday and with their signs and with letters and, and emails and texts really bluntly. So I think that that order, they just, that's just a head scratcher. It really didn't quite, it doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So Yes, cakey should be included with, with our adults. And certainly, remember, it's the household that should be allowed to get together. We don't want to use the word families necessarily because, you know, you could have your aunties in a different household and they are, say, in a different risk, you know, risk zone or they could not have the same bubble. We 
we tend to look at households. But that is obvious that a household, which is already exposed one, one to another for whatever virus you might have completely, it just makes sense that they'd be allowed to go out, whether it's to the beach or the park. So I'd like to see that get fixed. Uh, within the next 20 minutes, I'm sure we'll have a memo over there. And, you know, sometimes you just, you get so caught up in the big, you know, these big orders, I think that smaller mistakes get made. Uh, but they're, everyone's trying to make sure we knock this darn virus out so that we can come out of this thing more rapidly on the other end. If we get our numbers down, I believe the city and county floated the number 70 consistently. That is certainly something we could maintain safely at the hospitals. And then there's no reason at all we couldn't open up to tourism and, of course, schools and so on. You know, we have this question here uh, about surge testing. What are the results of the surge testing? We've been seeing uh, these large numbers that have happened over the past few weeks. Uh, what are we seeing and what are we learning from the surge testing that's happening? Surge testing is pretty interesting. So we've had you know, 25 or 30,000 surge test results come back in. We're waiting on a big hunk of them over the weekend. And they've shown very few people infected in the background. And so individuals who are asymptomatic or coming to surge testing sites the average rate of positivity has been around like 0.58%. So for, you know, just to give people an, un an understanding, if people did a thousand tests, 1% uh, would be uh, 10, right? And so 0.58 would be five or six people out of a thousand. So you, you get the idea really quickly that very few people are testing positive. And that's good. It's good to know that we don't have much in the way of background positivity rate. The tests themselves would, would and will be more valuable when we test large groups of people that are in slightly higher categories, like if people are in Kalihi, where there's been a big surge, if we test first responders or if we test frontline workers. So I think the firefighters are starting to do some of that, and that's much more valuable. Doing the mass drive-through tests, well, exciting, actually is pretty low yield. It's just giving you something that we could have gotten through random testing of, of the population in the background. But you know what? I'm happy that there's testing going on. The firefighters have done a great job doing it. And it kind of marks, it puts a marker down here in early September of where we are as a society. Uh, you referenced some changes at the Department of Health, uh, and we know you had that editorial in the paper a few days ago, uh, explaining you know your thoughts on that a little more thoroughly. But how do you feel about the Department of Health leadership at the moment? Are you confident that the department can do its job? Um, and where are we on contact tracing as a state? Yeah, I'm very enthusiastic about that. So uh, it was important that we make some changes. No offense to uh, Bruce Anderson, Director Anderson, a friend. Uh, it took its toll on him. Retiring now is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. He's done a ton of work for, for Hawaii. Moving forward, going forward, uh, Dr. Libby Char, who's a physician, is fantastic. She's very subdued. She's extremely smart, and she will provide good health leadership. So that's a big plus. Uh, Libby's been in on all the meetings because she works with uh, the mayor's team right now, so she's very familiar with what's going on. So that's a big plus. Uh, Dr. Park had to separate, uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't getting done. We were not getting the contact tracing and testing done, and I'm sorry, but that was a problem. That was a major problem for the state of Hawaii. It cost us dearly. So her departure, opening the way for Dr. Emily Roberson, who I've been on the phone with regularly, 
is doing very well. They're over 200 contact tracers now. They hope to bring on another 125 in the next two to three weeks. That is a huge increase, which is really good. Meanwhile, the numbers are falling. So our goal is to have the numbers fall like this and the contact tracers go up. So when we intersect, we are able to trace everybody. You can imagine if we have 300 and then coming on 400 contact tracers eventually, what that will mean when we only have 75 cases a day. Each person will only have to take a couple new cases a week and they can track down every close contact, get people tested. And that's how you knock this virus out. That is so critical, I can't even tell you guys. So we do that, That's and I'm kind of actually regurgitating some of what my op-ed piece said. The, the key things in the op-ed piece are really basic things. Everyone should wear a mask. We already have a mask mandate. Everyone should have, have to wear it. We're working on ways ultimately to just have a fine for people instead of a full-on violation, like as though you're cr uh, crossing the street illegally or not putting your seatbelt on. So it's not as easy as you might think, but that's where we should go. Everyone wears a mask. We have four to 500 contact tracers. So we trace and, and go after every possible case. We test well over 10,000 people a day, which we are getting ready to do with antigen tests. Fourth point is we surge our healthcare capacity. We're bringing on, I believe it's 43 critical care nurses and some new docs as well to help out the team. And then finally, massive transparency, which we're getting because if you look at hawaiicovid19.com, it's very good work actually by the Department of Health. hawaiicovid19.com, got a ton of details. And there's also, I think, covidpal.com done by some of our, our best private sector partners. They just announced that. So that kind of transparency is good because it shows how many people are getting traced, how many tested, how many cases, where they are, a lot of data. And this is the way we're gonna beat this thing. Then on the other side, we'll get a vaccination eventually and that'll lower the risk. We want to talk a little bit about that reopening of Hawaii and, and the importance that testing will play into opening up the state to Trans-Pacific travel. A lot of people continue to ask this question of that October 1st date that was initially set. Do you think that that is still a realistic timeline for the state to open some sort of travel into Hawaii, in and out of Hawaii on October 1st? Honestly, there's no reason we can't do that. It's, uh, it's going to be a relatively low risk and it's also going to be a relatively low number. I don't think in the first weeks of opening, we're going to see big numbers. I think we're more likely to see them a month out. So a soft opening, Jamie and I were talking about this morning, makes a lot of sense to me. There's adequate testing out there now because you can get an antigen test. What we're proposing is two different tracks to get into Hawaii. One, you just get the regular PCR test within three days, you're in. That's it. It's negative, you're fine, go in. Another way would be to do the cheap test, the $22 test, the antigen test, which is being done at many airports now. You can get that thing anywhere. You get a swab three days or within three days of your travel, and then we swab you again here on the other end. It's a rapid test. You get a result in 15 minutes. It's another way for us to really reassure ourselves that we don't have extra COVID coming into Hawaii. And this is what I believe will be the right plan. I don't see any reason not to begin travel, getting some hotels open, some restaurant activity going again. Given the, the case rates and the positivity rates, it's pretty good. I think in, it's what, it's three weeks away. Today's the ninth, I believe of uh, September in three, about three weeks, we should be able to do that. Followed two weeks later by opening schools. And as long as we're giving enough access to tracing and testing for everybody, we can keep an eye on it. And that's really all that it takes. We're watching every number by the minute in the intensive care unit, on ventilators, in the hospitals, number of cases. It's, it's something that is becoming more sophisticated every day. So I think we should open sooner or later, we're gonna have to bite the bullet. As you can see, um, some of the prep schools 
are already planning their opening, I believe, for next week. And they've got good plans. They're following protocols. They're going to be okay. Do you think public schools can follow suit? I mean, do you think that after the fall break that we could see the Department of Education open up schools statewide? I do. And what I'm going to be proposing is eight places where people can go get tests in each of the counties total. So that if a group of teachers or other educators or administrators or firefighters or children of um, in, in a public school like my little guy is Sam, if they need to get tested, they can go get tested very quickly and efficiently same day tests. So I think that we do that and that provides a ton of extra support. And it's a, uh, it's a doable thing. And if we have to, we'll back off. Obviously schools will be very ready if they have to, to pause, hit the pause button if they have an outbreak or if there's a series of cases. We have to protect teachers, so they should have devoted tracers and, and testing, which I just described. But sooner or later, we're gonna have to be ready for that. It's better than waiting too long because I'm not certain the vaccination is gonna come in the fall or early winter. You just can't be, you can't be 100% about that. It would be the fastest vaccination ever if it did. Uh, come. So I, I think we should probably open on October 13th, but if parents want their kid to stay home or if teachers decide it's just too much risk for them, I respect that. Going back to the reopening uh, of the state. So let's say we do move forward with, as you say, a soft opening on October 1st. Uh, are all those measures sort of already in place? We know that there was uh, a delay earlier because things just weren't ready. You know, I guess is everything sort of ready to go? in terms of testing, in terms of getting information out there, the infrastructure here to say, all right, October 1st, if that is the call, that the state will be ready for that. I, I believe it will be. In fact, one of the things is some of the work goes away because all of the work on quarantine, where you have to lock people into their apartment or their, their hotel room, goes away if they demonstrate their test. So we don't have that same worry. Also, I've I witnessed that firsthand because I traveled this last weekend over to Big Island and I went through the process with the iPads and getting on. It took, took very little time. It was not a big deal. So yes, I think we are ready and we have the relationships already in place. Like we said earlier with CVS, Kaiser, Walgreens is coming on. Plus now that we're going to, we haven't finalized this decision, but it's, I think tomorrow we'll find, finalize this decision to allow for the rapid antigen tests anywhere, as long as we do a second one follow up here, it really opens up testing everywhere. So it changes the, the scope of how difficult it is to get it done, makes it very easy. And this is the kind of thing we need to do. We need to make plans accessible, easy, just not burdensome. I really don't think that it's the travelers coming in that's gonna be a big worry. I think it's gonna be continued community spread if we don't do a good job uh, testing people. and most places that are doing well are doing a ton of testing. That's why we're bringing on, you know, we've been doing about 2,500 to 3,000 tests a day. We add 10,000 additional tests a day. We're really, we're gonna really be chugging along. Um, there were some questions here about flu shots and whether people should be getting flu shots right now. You know, it's, it's hard to think, you know, it's so hot outside, but flu season will be upon us uh, in no time. What are, what are your, what's your directive on that? I know a lot of people also have been reluctant to uh, interact with their doctor just because they're wary of any kind of exposure in a medical facility. Yes, unless you have a philosophical opposition to getting a vaccination, go get it now. Uh, so we don't have to rush. The governor has asked me to take a lead on putting together statewide vaccination programs and plans, not just for flu, but for the ultimate moment when we are we're choosing as a society to, 
to take some of a vaccination for COVID. I'm going to watch it very carefully to make sure it's safe and that we don't put anyone at risk. Nothing is foolproof, but we will do that. And I'll tell you, it is a good idea. It's a good idea because if you can avoid having flu symptoms, then you will not be put into it the very difficult place of having flu-like symptoms and not knowing whether or not you have COVID. So what I would say is get your flu shot now. It's a great idea. It's safe. Normally only 40% of people get flu, flu shots, I'm sorry. So it's a, uh, it's a thing worth doing. Another thing to, to note is there should be less flu this year, a lot less flu because people are doing a great job wearing masks and washing their hands. So I'm expecting a light flu season. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We should though have a lot of protection against that because people are behaving so well. So lots to focus on, but these are the basics. Get a flu shot, wear a mask, socially distance, we would not be in lockdown or have to separate. Uh, we would not be worried about not opening the economy if we all did that. You know, another uh, thing that happened just yesterday that was announced was this rental assistance program that the state is sort of launching to help those who are struggling right now during this time. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that process for people who may be looking for assistance in, uh, you know, in paying their monthly rents? Yes, it's a, it's a really good program. I'm very proud of the governor for doing that. So $100 million will be devoted to this program. $2,000 per uh, household that needs to help get help with rent on Oahu and up to $1,500 for individuals on the neighbor islands where the rents are slightly lower. People have to qualify having been a resident. They can't just kind of pop in and start getting the money. The monies will go to the landlords, which is very important too because landlords have to continue to pay their mortgages. And with a lot of people not paying rent for some months, it's a worry. So it's a good program. People should start applying right now. I think all of the, uh, the information was in the newspaper yesterday. Maybe we can pop up the website to go to. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people that are interested, just like there have been a lot of individuals interested in unemployment, the PUA, and so on. These are unique times where tens of thousands of people all put their hand up with need, and it's legitimate need. So Dive in if you're having housing insecurity, if you could lose your place, it's the right time to do it. Nancy Mitchell has a question, Ryan. This one came in at 1050. What about more testing on neighbor islands? I know there, uh, Oahu has been under lockdown, but Big Island just had beaches closed down on Friday. Um, so what, what's your sense there? Obviously we've seen uh, an explosion at the care home in Hilo and unfortunately a number of deaths there as well. Do you think there should be more testing on the neighbor islands and, and what are we looking at in terms of the statewide response? Yes, I asked the mayors to petition for up to 10,000 tests from Maui and Big Island. Kauai is doing so well that they probably didn't need a lot of extra tests. But where there's been surge, absolutely. And we have the surge testing available. That's a, that's a case where actually the testing and surge testing could be better. So I think that is a good thing to do. But like I mentioned, I think very briefly earlier, I'm going to ask for us to set up at the airports or near the airports, a, uh, a free or a low cost testing site near Kona Airport, Hilo Airport, on Kauai, on Maui, so that people can get a quick antigen test, get the result 20, 30 minutes later at the most as they need it. There's just so much need out there. And Getting reassurance, especially if you're a frontline worker or if you've had any kind of exposure, makes all the sense in the world. That's how we'll keep it contained. A lot of people will have to, I won't say do their contact tracing themselves. They'll have to be smart about their isolation if they test positive. Once we start testing 
10,000, 12,000 people a day. But as the background rate drops further and further, when we were at the early stages of this disease, we only had about 1.3% people being positive. It's not going to be that big a number. And most people will be asymptomatic. So I think it's completely doable. And we're only talking about three or four months now until we begin to get immunity. And that is a key thing to remember. I don't want people to think this is going to go on forever. But near the airports is where I'd recommend it. Just because they have parking, it's easy. Uh, there could be other recommendations. We'll leave it to the mayors to choose. How soon could we see something like that? And, and is that kind of rapid testing widely available in the numbers that you're, that you're advocating? Yes, we put an RFP out, request for proposal. Uh, Ford is running that out of the airports division, Ford Fujigami. He's asked to get us up to about 13,000 tests a day. They, of course, should be spread out. And he's very cognizant of that because he runs the airports. And uh, that will make it possible. It's also not all the PCR tests like you're accustomed to which have a lot longer time to get the results, you know, two, three, four, five days. It's, it's quite a different game. And there's other testing modalities coming on board, these lateral flow tests, which are kind of like pregnancy tests, quick swab of the nostril, you put it in the thing and it's a couple drops of the reagent and you just watch that flow laterally and you get two lines if you're positive, one line if you're negative. That's coming and it's really cheap. The FDA approved one of those for five bucks. So we should have this kind of thing all over the place. I know that Ford has had many good suitors that want to do the project with us and they're prepared to set up fast. So once we get through the surge testing, which I believe is either at the end of this week or early next week, I hope that we can start to launch that. It takes a little bit of logistics. He's going to need a few weeks for those people to come in and set up, no question. But in the meanwhile, we'll be ramping up our tests to the best capacity we have. I'd really like to see that in October once we are kind of timing it with opening up tourism and also opening up the schools. October 1st would be the perfect time, maybe a couple days before. And, and what would that look like? Because with the number of tests that we are talking about and the frequency of it, let's say someone does test positive, uh, what would be the responsibility of that individual? Let's say there are tourists coming here, they would self-quarantine and they would have to remain on island until they get a negative result before they can leave. And, and who's sort of footing and, and responsible for anyone that is, I guess, essentially positive? Well, if you test positive, you are facing 14 days of quarantine and there's nothing to prohibit someone from travel. Although I think the airlines would be reticent to put people into a, you know, into an airplane in close proximity to other individuals while they're positive. So we would probably ask people to stay. We do have some quarantine hotel rooms in some capacity. That would be a good way to use them. So as not to, you know, disadvantage somebody and make them stay an extra 10 days when they're not well. So that would be my recommendation. There won't be very many of these. I think it's going to be like less than one in a thousand individuals who travels is going to be positive. So that's the numbers that we've been seeing once you get pre-testing done. So very low numbers. And think about that. If we only have six or eight thousand people coming in a day, we might only have six or eight positives a day. So they'll lay low and we'll ask them to stay, stay kind of in home isolation. That's the way I would approach it. Ideally, it won't be tourists at all. It'll be our own residents coming back and getting tested. Because if you are a tourist and you test positive, you're not supposed to come here. You, you know, you have not really been approved. So it's all about re, uh, reducing risk. There are going to be some tough moments for people, obviously. But overall, this will keep spread way down. I mean, I'm, I'm super pleased to be looking at numbers on my papers here with 66 and 100. And we just came through a three-day weekend. You know we won't see those results from the holiday weekend till about eight or ten days out. But I think people took to heart not gathering. There was a little bit of um, 
what some people did the float flotillas and went out over uh over the holiday and they were out on the water in big groups that was not great uh but there were not many gatherings at all of large scale and so it's infinitely better than we were able to to handle things over a fourth of july weekend so i don't think we're going to see more surge i think we're going to now see the cases come down ratchet down and get back to i don't want to say normal but get back to an, a place that we can function well and sure we'll be wearing masks but we'll be living our lives okay well we only have a few minutes left so uh, we'd love a final thought from you and uh, i've seen a lot of questions uh through throughout the feed and we apologize to the folks that we weren't able to get to everything but a lot of people are kind of wondering what the benchmark is what should we be looking at are we looking at those raw numbers you said 100 today are we looking at the positivity rate um what do we sort of direct our attention to and what are the metrics that the state is looking at and then any final thoughts you have sure so we're right now looking at the california benchmarks that translates to about 70 per day. I think that that's a little bit artificially low. I, I think 150 a day would be fine. We're going to finalize that in the coming day or two. It's also a percentage of positives. If you can get the percent positivity rate under 5% consistently, you're really doing fine. That is safe enough to open up restaurants, to open up um, massage parlors and hairdressers and so on, and gyms. That's, that's where you want to get, under 5% consistently. We've been hovering between three and 5% for some time. So that is one of the main benchmarks. Benchmarks Also, of course, our hospital capacity, which has been very good. For the last, uh, I wanna say six or seven days, it's been flat. It hasn't dropped significantly, but it's it's lower than it was at peak. It's a, it's a full 20% lower than it was when it peaked about 10 days ago, which is a really good piece of news. Knock wood for that, because that's it's been tough on our docs and nurses. So those are the things I would share. Actually, it's going quite well, with the exception of the fact that we're still in lockdown, which is simply too hard for us to deal with much longer. Would I have preferred for us to go to Orange and be slightly out of lockdown and free to go out? Yes, of course. Do I understand the need to get through this thing and really flatten the numbers out? We all do. We know that we have to do that in order to have a success. So that's what I would say. I'm an advocate to get the state open on the 1st of October to restore jobs to people. And I'm, and I'm definitely advocating to open schools on October 13th to, to normalize kids' lives. Okay, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, thank you so much uh, for taking time to join us and for that update. We look forward to uh, hearing from you again soon. Aloha. Thank you very much. Be careful out there. Thank you. Okay, well, very interesting. Uh, for those of you who may have joined late, right at the top, the Lieutenant Governor did share with us that he is sending a memo that should hit uh, the mayor's desk in the next hour or less, um, basically asking to expand the solo uh, restrictions that are now in place where instead of just letting one person go out to a beach or to a park on their own, that he would expand that to a household so that if you know, you're know you a family and you live together, not necessarily um, you know, just related by blood of different households, but you know, one household being allowed to go to a beach or go to a park to kind of loosen that restriction a bit. So interesting. Uh, we'll wait and see what the mayor has to say in response to that. And the mayor actually did address that question that was posed to him during the press conference yesterday saying, why not? Uh, why isn't he allowing families and, and people love the same household? And he said it's would be too difficult for police to sort of enforce that. And there was be no way of people saying, and determining how they were all part of the same household and the police would have a very difficult time trying to control that unit. So he, he has said that in the press conference uh, yesterday and we'll see if this additional pushback from of course the public and now from the Lieutenant Governor 
if that at all weighs upon any sort of decision or change in the order that could come about. Uh, as, as we've seen in, uh, in that it has happened in the past, there has been amendments to the order after it was initially launched. So we'll see if this is another one that does happen. Um, him also talking about his optimism about opening up on October 1st to uh, as, as what he's calling a soft open for trans-Pacific travel once again. Yeah, that's great to hear because uh, obviously he has access to a lot of data. And if he's got that kind of confidence that, um, you know, obviously a lot of people are really eager to invite visitors back with testing um, that when he talks about a soft opening, that means that people who come with a test within 72 hours would be allowed then to not be under quarantine. But if you didn't get a test, you would still be subject to that 14 day quarantine. That's what they mean by the soft open. Um, and the other thing that was interesting to hear was his confidence now in the Department of Health. You know, we've had him on a number of times before, um, and he's expressed a lot of skepticism in the work of Dr. Anderson and Dr. Park. Um, th those folks, uh, obviously Dr. Park is on leave and Dr. Anderson is retiring. So there's uh, some new leadership there for the time being. And uh, he, you know, he says that the contact tracers, we've seen 200 now, he said, and they're going to add um, additional dozens more. So um, interesting to hear how you know, he's really lauding those changes in the Department of Health. Yeah, so a lot of things happening, of course, every week things seem to progress and th seems, things seem to come up. And so we will continue to try to keep on top of all of this. We will be talking to the governor on Monday uh, and getting his thoughts, of course, on this, uh, where, we're are, where we are at as a state, but also about some of these new orders and sort of the, the game plan moving forward. And if that October 1st uh, timeline of what they kind of set in place is something that they are still targeting. So we look forward to that conversation on Monday, but we also have another important topic and show coming up on Friday. Yeah, that's right. We actually have two guests on Friday. As we know, we are still in lockdown on Oahu. Um, and so we are going to be talking to Nancy Creedman from the Domestic Violence Action Center. Unfortunately, being under lockdown and with so many people in health and financial stress, there has been a very large increase in domestic violence. And uh, we've had her on before and she's got some new data to present to us. And so we want to all you know, hear about that and find out how we can be allies and advocates for people who are um, maybe in a dangerous circumstance. And then joining us in the second half will be Tina Yamaki from the Hawaii Retailers Association. Um, you know, I had a conversation with her setting up this interview and Ryan, it was really tough to hear about all the mom and pop shops she says are just quietly closing down. Uh, no fanfare, you just drive by a place and you see, oh, that business is closed and it looks like it's closed for good. So what can be done to help retailers um, and how are they faring it, with another two weeks of lockdown? It's, it's really tough times out there. Definitely. And so we look forward to having that conversation uh, on Friday again at 1030. We, of course, invite all of you to continue to uh, come back here. We are here Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1030, bringing you this conversation. We want to, again, thank our sponsors, the Office of Election, for helping us bring this conversation to all of you. And again, remind you that uh, if you have not yet registered for the general election, uh, deadline is October 5th. You can head over to electionshawaii.gov to get more information and to register. And again, we will continue to provide you more information as the election gets closer. But until Friday, we wish you all a great Wednesday and uh, take care. We will see you right back here on Friday. Aloha. Aloha.